Hi and welcome to the latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the sectarianism, proxies and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mayburn and today I'm joined by Hayan Dukan, teaching fellow in international relations at the University of Leicester and a research fellow at the Centre for Syrian Studies at St Andrews. Hayan has got uh, a wonderful book on tribes in Syria called State and Tribes in Syria, Informal Alliances and Conflict Patterns that was produced and published by Routledge. It came out earlier this year in 2019 and he's written uh, extensively on tribes and the role of tribes in the Syrian conflict. So hi and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for uh, your invitation to speak. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Likewise, it's it's really exciting, and and we've got a lot to cover, and as always, not enough time to do so. But Hayan, can you start by telling us a little bit about how you got interested in in political life and and the study of politics, please? Oh, I mean, that's uh, probably going to take me uh, a little bit of time too. <laughs> but I'll try to be as brief as possible. Uh, well. Uh, I was born in Syria. I lived most of my life in Syria. My dad was interested in, in politics, uh, and I remember him uh, always uh, getting into the house, like secretly the books of uh, the Egyptian journalist Mohammed Hassanin Haikal, uh, many books writing about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And uh, he wouldn't actually allow me to, to to read them at that time because he was concerned that I would be speaking about politics, and then um, he might be questioned by, by by the secret police in Syria. But every time I know my dad is not at home, I would just go grab the book and and, and start reading it. So I I grew up, as I said, in the house where my dad is interested in politics. He always believed in in Arab nationalism. He was a big fan of Jamal Abdel Nasser. And and this is how I kind of uh, became interested in politics. But uh, unfortunately, in Syria, studying politics wasn't easy. Uh, So I I was interested in English. I, I went to do a degree in English literature in uh, 1999, graduated in 2003, and started working in international development. And then in 2009, uh, I decided to to apply to a grant. Uh, I got a achievement scholarship from the FCO, the Foreign Commonwealth Office, to, to study a master's degree in international development at the University of East Anglia. But the majority of the modules that I chose actually were basically uh, politics and the impact of politics on international development, right? Uh, which impacted my decision later to to pursue um, a degree in international relations, a PhD in international relations at the University of St Andrews. Sure, uh, Hayan, was there a particular event that that piqued your interest in politics, or was it just the the sort of the influence and energy of your your father? Would you say? <sighs> I think we, as well in Syria, kind of living in a in a turbulent region. Like um, I was born in, in 1980s, so I still remember actually the time, like in, in 1990, when Saddam Hussein. Like I was uh, 10 10 years by then. I remember the time when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and I was like with my family, and all my family members were talking about uh, some. A lot of my family members at that time supported actually Saddam Hussein's decision to and uh, decision to invade Kuwait, and there were some who opposed that. And, and things kind of after that, there were other like kind of conflicts in with kind of southern Lebanon and Hezbollah uh, fighting against Israel as well. So kind of I grow in a region, you know, where where everyone really talks about politics because people are influenced by these major events that took place in the region. 
uh, as I said, like kind of the, the, the first Gulf War in 1990, and then uh, later on different uh, conflicts between uh, Hezbollah and, and Israel. Uh, later on, the, the invasion of Iraq in 2003 and the, the impact that left on us as Syrians as well. In terms of fighters uh, crossing from Syria to fight with the resistance, particularly from the eastern part of the country where I lived, uh, there were some people that I knew from Palmyra who decided to uh, to make that decision and go. So it's just kind of living in that region, really, with a lot of political events that um, kind of made me or triggered my interest in politics. Sure, well, that makes that makes perfect sense. Then I guess um, you you say you moved from international development to this sort of more political dimension as you were about to start the PhD. So can you tell us a bit about the the PhD then? What were you what were you setting out to do in the thesis? So in yeah in two thousand nine I came as I said to the UK to do a master in international development and. Uh, I wrote a master dissertation at that time uh, titled The Development-Induced Displacement of the Bedouin in Syria, uh, which was published later as a paper with, with uh, Nomadic Studies Journal, in which I uh, basically argue that the, the government development policies have been pushing the, the nomadic people, the Bedouin nomadic tribes, to, to settle in the suburbs of the cities. Um, and at that time, I asked the university to, to have like, an, I just basically wrote it for fun. Uh, there was a lot of critiques of the government policies in the rural areas. Yeah. But I knew that if such a piece get published at that time, I would be in trouble. I went back to Syria and I was supposed to work in the development sector. And only actually uh, a few months after I went back, the uprising erupted, uh, which turned into, uh, as we know, kind of the civil war. And then I noticed that there was like a, basically a trend of tribal resurgence in the protest movement, where uh, basically we were hearing every day about uh, tribesmen standing in solidarity with each other against the regime repression in Dara and Homs and in other part of the country. We uh, we used to hear as well quite a lot at that time about uh, some tribesmen taking revenge, uh, which is one kind of, of the main concepts, really, of, of, uh, of tribal solidarity, taking revenge against uh, the regime soldiers who uh, used arms against the peaceful protesters. So I started kind of to notice these things, like, popping up here and there. And I started recording these observations, and I turned them into a research proposal and started to look for uh, a PhD scholarship that could fund this project. Uh, and I was lucky actually to get a scholarship at that time uh, at the University of St. Andrews. Uh, and this is how things started. Uh, basically, to start with, I just wanted to look at the role of the tribes during the Syrian conflict, look at a kind of tribal concepts of, of honor and, and solidarity. But then it developed later on, which is the case of any PhD project as, course, yeah. as it starts. And um, looking at the relationship between the, the state and, and the tribes. Sure. Uh, so the main research question that I was looking here is what was the policy of the state towards uh, the tribes? Looking from late Ottoman Empire, uh, 1916, kind of up till the eruption of the of the uprising in the civil war, but really with a main focus on the period of Hafez al-Assad, Bashar, and, and the civil war. Sure. Before we, we delve deeper into, into the, the more contemporary dimensions, can you just tell us a little bit about the, the position of, of tribes in Syria at, at, at the time, sort of in the decade leading up to the uprisings, please. What, what role did, did tribes play in, in, in daily life, in, 
in sort of Syrian politics and the, the rural urban distinction? So um, between 2000 and 2010, uh, the relationship between the state and the tribes, as I argue in my book, was deteriorating uh, as a result of the fact that the Bashar al-Assad regime or the government at that time started to adopt new liberal policies, uh, lifting subsidies on agricultural products, uh, which affected the, the, the economy of uh, of the tribes in the rural areas. Uh, and the drought as well that hit the, the, the eastern part of the country badly in 2000. And eight, which led to the migration of large number of the tribes from the rural areas uh, to the cities. Another trend as well that I started kind of to, to notice in, in in this period between 2000 and 2010, the disengagement between between the tribal leaders and their tribesmen. That uh, large number of the tribal leaders who were members in the Syrian parliament or were like basically. Uh, let's say, represented in the government in a way or another, who moved to the city, started to care less about the interests of their tribesmen, um, which led later kind of to, to the uprising to start in in the tribal regions of, of Syria, particularly in Huran, uh, where uh, the community was organized around the tribal lines uh, and moved later on to Homs. So even in Homs, when we talk about uh, the city of Homs, when we look at... Uh, al-Baba Amr district, which I talk about in my book as well, and al-Bayyada district, these were basically the suburbs of the cities where the tribes have settled as a result of the government policies in the rural areas. Uh, and this is what pushed them to, to revolt against the regime. So what are these what are these tribe what are these policies, sorry, towards tribes in the rural areas then? Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of them in, in the book I talk uh, in the chapter, basically, that focuses on Bashar al-Assad period, I look at uh, what I describe as the development and modernization, because at that time, kind of modernization was really a big word uh, when, when Bashar al-Assad came, came to power, and how these had an impact on the tribes. One of them that I just mentioned earlier is lifting the subsidies on, on, on the fuel, for example. I mean, a large number of these tribes used to, to work in agriculture, um, and the agriculture wasn't rain-fed agriculture. A lot of them had basically wells and they needed fuel in order to kind of to pump the water out of these wells. So that cost them a lot of money to, in order to do that. This is number one. Uh, secondly, lifting subsidies on uh, fertilizers or uh, other agricultural products or even uh, fodder for their livestock. Uh, this had like a huge impact on, on the economy of, of, of the tribes in the rural areas. Uh, this is number one. Number two, uh, which probably wasn't kind of the action of the government. I think probably the government could be blamed for the fact that it did not have uh, proper responses, let's say, to, uh, to, 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 to the drought at that time, uh, the drought that hit the region in 2008. Uh, the government did not provide enough subsidies or aid to, to these people, and even when these when the tribes moved to the suburbs of the cities, they were left to to face the challenges on their own, uh, which which created resentment and anger among a uh, large number of the youths who lived in the suburbs of the cities of of Damascus and Aleppo and Homs. Sure. Wait, what was the what was the rationale for this then? Was this was this pure mismanagement from from the Assad regime, or was there something more nefarious at play? 
Yeah, I guess um, Bashar Assad is, is someone probably who wasn't really uh, very knowledgeable about the dynamics of, of the rural areas in Syria. Uh, the majority of, of the development projects in Syria between 2000-2010 focused on um, the major cities, particularly Damascus and Aleppo. And I would say maybe to a certain extent like the, the Latakia and the, and the center of Homs. So he didn't pay actually great attention to, to the rural areas. Uh, so it was some sort of ma mismanagement, uh, ignorance, I would say, probably. Uh, the regime did not have the expectations that these policies are going to, to create all that anger and the frustration among the rural constituency that at some point of time, while actually supported the regime to remain in power between, 2000, between 1970 and 2000, uh, which I argue in, in my book. Right. Okay, so so let's go into detail with the with the conflict itself then. Obviously this is this is the real thrust and the crux of your your work, Hayan. Can you tell us a bit about the about the argument in the book then? What are you trying to do and how do you go about doing it? So the, the, the argument I use in terms of kind of framework of analysis, I use the, the cyclical pattern of uh, Ibn Khaldun, which some might consider, oh, this is like very outdated now. Uh, I support it with kind of with, with some other literature. But the really main kind of look at Ibn Khaldun's cyclical pattern about when the state is, is strong, the tribes are weak. And when, when the state is weak, the tribes are strong. And, and if we... Uh, look at, at the history of, of the interaction between the state and the tribes in Syria, we could see that this has always actually been the case. Um, and this is basically something that I try to apply to, to, to the Syrian case, is that when, when the state started to become weak after 2000, um, as a result of the protest movement and the civil war, we started the, to see that the power of the tribes rising in the rural areas, uh, the tribes started to to claim actually kind of to, uh, some uh, authority or independence in, in, in particular parts of Syria. They started to create alliances with, with other regional and international powers or other domestic actors like the, the Kurds and, and the Islamists as well. Right. So can we talk a bit about the the relationships then? What what was driving the the relationships between the tribes and these these uh, these other parties, whether they be Islamists, whether they be sort of local actors or, or regional actors, what was the, the driving force? What types of relationships were at play? And and how did they take hold? How did they take place and emerge? Yes, I mean, a lot of kind of these alliances are pragmatic in nature and they are based on, on the interest of each tribe or clan in the area that they reside as well. Uh, so we shouldn't actually forget that the tribes compete uh, with each other for power and influence in, in the parts of, uh, that they inhabit. Uh, so basically, now we see some of the tribes in, in, in the eastern part of the Euphrates River uh, that are allied to SDF, Syrian Democratic Forces, because their interest at, at this stage kind of uh, lie there. And, and we see some other tribes that are allying themselves to, to, to the regime in, in the western part of the, of the Euphrates River. So each one of these tribes create these alliances based on, on their uh, pragmatic interest 
uh, in the region that they are. Uh, so there is no ideology here in general. It's it's mainly really pure uh, interest. Right. And and that involved what was that local actors? I'm I'm particularly interested in the in the regional dimensions here. Was that was it that that local tribes thought that they could they could ensure their survival and improve their their position vis-a-vis other tribes in the state by cultivating these relationships? Or was it more that that these external actors, and maybe you can say a little bit more about who they are, tried to capitalize on the ongoing um, turmoil, let's say, domestically? Sure. Uh, I look in this book as well at the kinship ties between Saudi Arabia and the other Arab Gulf states, but particularly Saudi Arabia and uh, the Syrian tribes, and how uh, this actually kind of played out during the Syrian conflict, how Saudi Arabia tried to use uh, these tribal ties in order to destabilize the regime. Yeah. Uh, this is number one. Uh, and now they are trying to use these ties in order to stabilize uh, SDF, like Syrian Democratic Forces rule, because they don't want this region to fall under uh, Iranian influence. Sure. Uh, this is uh, number one. They don't want this region as well to fall under the influence of uh, Qatar or uh, Turkey, which is another alliance in the region. Uh, on the other hand, Iran has been as well investing heavily in uh, among the tribes. And even before the beginning of the Syrian conflict, uh, there have been missionary activities in uh, the eastern part of Syria, in Deir Zor, particularly among members of the Baggara tribe, trying to convert them into uh, Shiism, uh, to become Shiite, actually. And they managed to, to do that. They, they succeeded. Uh, more than 3,000 members of the Baggara tribes converted into uh, Shiism. And they, they, uh, they have been uh, doing that recently as well, after they managed to, to capture uh, some areas in, in the areas to the west of the Euphrates. So here we have some tribes that allied themselves, particularly al-Baggara tribe, to, to Iran, to the west of the, of the Euphrates River. Some tribes that allied themselves to, to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia now is, is promising to, to give them uh, financial aid in order to, to improve the standards of living there if they continue uh, to stand with Syrian democratic forces and uh, prevent the regime in Iran from taking this region. Sure. In the north, Turkey has uh, been as well, uh, that has large number of Syrian refugees who belong to the tribes. So during the Syrian conflict, uh, as we know, three million Syrians were displaced to Turkey. A uh, large number of them, maybe about 200 to 300,000 people uh, who belong to the tribes from Al-Hasaka and Deir Zor and Raqqa um, were displaced to Turkey. And their stronghold actually is in Orfa. And there has been uh, some kind of media coverage recently of, of uh, tribes in, in Orfa uh, and how they still preserve their uh, customs and, and, and traditions there as well. And um, Turkey has been working on recruiting members of the tribes in Orfa in order to join its offensive against Syrian democratic forces. Um, and recently, the, the Turkish president who visited southern Turkey met with Syrian tribal leaders, and the Syrian tribal leaders have uh, praised Turkish offensive in uh, Afrin against Syrian democratic forces. And they showed their readiness as well in order to to recruit members uh, of, of the Arab tribes that reside in Turkey 
to join any attempts in the future to, to retake the areas that are controlled by Syrian democratic forces, something that Turkey is uh, talking about every day uh, yeah. at, at the moment as well. Sure. I mean, is this is this all all achieved through through money and through resources? Is it is it just that pragmatic? Uh, so a lot of it is is money. Uh, I would say maybe uh, I mentioned something that a lot of them would build. There have been some of the tribal youths. I wouldn't say probably in general who uh, started kind of to give up on on the idea of the tribe. So in the book, I talk here about how everyone who belongs to a tribe lives in the dilemma of balancing the what I call the Islamic identity and the tribal identity, something yeah. that uh, people have been uh, probably uh, struggled with since the emergence of Islam, really, let's, let's talk about as well. Uh, so a large number of these tribal youths who migrated at some point of time to Saudi Arabia have adopted kind of that conservative uh, Salafist ideology. Some of these uh, tribal youths as well went after 2003 to fight against the Americans in Iraq and fought with the Islamic State of Iraq later to become the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria and adopted kind of that Salafist ideology uh, that reject really kind of the idea or the concept of the tribe and they kind of prioritizes the ideology more Right. And there have been large number of these youths who fought with ISIS, who still probably uh, are part of ISIS sleeper cells in their communities, and that's uh, what creates the tension now between SDF Syrian Democratic Forces and the tribes in the areas kind of that uh, SDF controls sure. as well. So I would say ideology plays a role in this as well. Yeah. But largely speaking, it's all actually about interest and about uh, trying to get as much as benefits for uh, for, for the tribe in, in the areas where the tribes reside. Sure. It, it's interesting hearing, hearing you say that, and in particular hearing you talk about this sort of balancing between the the religious identity and the tribal identity. Where, where does the sectarian... Uh, dimension fit into this, if indeed at all, and where does the national identity fit into this? Uh, that's interesting, actually, that, uh, because in the book I have a chapter where basically I look at the policies of the nation-state uh, after independence uh, from France until 1970 towards the tribes. And I argue that the state at that time had adopted really strict measures towards the tribes, and there was a tendency to build a national identity during this period, between 1946 and between 1970 until Hafez Assad came to power. So the, the state at this, uh, this time, uh, for example, uh, tried to uh, uh, abolish the tribal law. So I talk about the tribal law, which uh, is in Arabic called Urf, and the tribal grazing system, uh, Al-Hima as well. And they tried to even to, to abolish uh, tribal representation in the Syrian parliament. So had the state continued really that, those measures at that time, we could have, probably tribes could have ceased to exist as uh, political power in Syria. But then Hafez al-Assad comes to power in 1970, and uh, he finds that the tribes are ready-made tools in order to, to sustain his power, in order to, uh, to give him power in the rural areas. Uh, so he granted the tribal leaders uh, seats in, in the Syrian parliament. 
tribes started to rise again as well in, in the Syrian security forces and the, the Bukhabarat, uh, something that uh, I talk about as well in the book. Uh, tribes started to become uh, represented in the Syrian parliament, where uh, basically 10% of members of the Syrian parliament were tribal leaders. Yeah. Uh, and this is, uh, although the regime at that time, kind of like the, the official documents of the regime, basically uh, did not talk about, did not allow people to talk about sectarianism or tribalism, something similar to really kind of to, 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 to the Alawites. Uh, but the regime kind of policies on the grounds were different uh, from, from the reality. The regime was not working on building uh, a national identity for Syrians. The regime kind of encourage these uh, other identities, sectarian identities or yeah. uh, tribal identities to grow. And what I talk as well about in this chapter particularly is that Hafez al-Assad realized that the Alawites could not rule the country on their own. So he cultivated Sunni allies who are the tribes. He cultivated Sunni allies who were marginalized and despised by the city people. Uh, so in fact, during this period from 1970 until 2000, we have the Alawite tribal uh, coalition uh, or alliance against the urban people in the major cities. And this is what started to change between 2000 and 2010, leading the tribes to revolt against the regime. So here, this is when sectarianism started kind of to rise. Before 2000, when Hafez al-Assad was in power, Sectarianism was not something probably that uh, you would hear quite a lot about in the rural areas of Syria, or let's say in the tribal regions of Syria, because a lot of these regions were basically inhabited by uh, Arabs, yeah. Arab tribes. Sure. There is Zor, al Hasaka. There is a Christian minority actually in al Hasaka, but there wasn't any friction between them and the Arab tribes. Uh, and this is kind of another research project that I'm working on. We could talk about maybe later in the future. Uh, about the Christians in, in, in the northern uh, eastern part of Syria. But during this period, there wasn't any really kind of friction between the Alawites and between the Arab tribes. It's only between 2000 and 2010 when uh, the economic grievances uh, started kind of to, to create this sectarian tension. For example, a uh, large number of, of, of the people of the Agedat tribe in Deir Zor, uh, started to talk about how the Alawites come all the way from the Syrian coast to uh, steal the gas and the oil that exist in their governorates, and that all the employment opportunities in, in their region uh, were given to, to the Alawites. So this is where kind of when sectarianism started to, to, to rise, really, between the tribes and, and the Alawite. Another dimension as well that kind of started to make sectarianism more apparent in this region is... Uh, I talked earlier about Iranian missionary activities in the eastern part of, of the country, trying to convert people into uh, into uh, Shiism, whether in Deir Zor or in Raqqa as well. And my book as well has a, a chapter about Iranian missionary. Uh, sorry, it's a sub chapter uh, when looking at Bashar al-Assad uh, period about Iranian missionary activities among the tribes, uh, which I call between myth and reality, and try kind of to. Uh, to investigate the literature there and uh, conducted a few interviews to, sure. to, to investigate these allegations about uh, Iranian attempts to, to convert people. Something as well we shouldn't forget in this uh, context talking about sectarianism is the large-scale migration of tribal youths to Saudi Arabia and then kind of adopting that uh, Salafist uh, ideology and, and bringing it back to, to Syria. 
And right. the last factor, of course, kind of the, the Iraq war, which probably uh, removed the lid really from uh, from this boiling water la- uh, later on. Yeah, it's it's such a complex set of interrelated issues that are um, in in so many ways shaped by one another and the capacity of X to shape Y and uh, intersectional issues, I imagine. Hayen, yes. we've taken a great deal of your time, but I, I wonder if I can ask one one final question, and that is, where where does this go from here? We know that that the conflict is 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 still sort of active, albeit sure. in a particular way with a particular outcome expected. And uh, where does this leave tribes in the? I, I hesitate to say the new Syria, but but this. Um, sort of frozen conflict, post-conflict Syria. Yes, um, I in in the book I try to, or in this PhD research turned into a book, I try to to draw uh, general patterns uh, regarding state tribes relations in in Syria, as I said, from 1916 up to now. But later during the Syrian conflict, we started kind of to to witness kind of these. Uh, different dynamics uh, that emerge and differ from one region to another. So in the south, uh, we have Huran, for example, where uh, Jordan uh, tried to use the kinship ties between the Jordanian society and the, and the Syrian society in order to, to support, at some point of time, I mean, before Assad regime managed to take this region, uh, in order to support the, the, the insurgency there. Uh, now we have kind of the eastern part of, uh, of the country where SDF is, is controlling. Uh, so we do have really different dynamics between from one region to another. And I think now we probably, in order to understand the tribal dynamics, we need um, to, to conduct micro studies because each region now has its own uh, dynamic that is different from, from uh, another. Yeah, sure. And I think that that's really important and and really interesting to see where where those sort of micro environments go in the context of a of an evolving Syrian state. But Kyan, yes. thank you so much for your for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. Really interesting to thank talk you. to you about it all. So thank I look for forward to well. seeing how all of this plays out in the future. And um, until the next time, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>